welcome to our No Bad Days show, Simple Moments for Women. I am Jolene Fisher, your host, and every episode of the No Bad Days show will give you a view into the life of another woman. She'll share her story, her triumphs, and all the lessons that she's learned along the way. And my goal as your host is to bring you topics that uplift and inspire and help you to be the hero of your own story. Missy is a health advocate with a huge heart for helping others be the healthiest that they can be. She leads an informal online support group for women going through infertility. And today we'll hear about Missy's journey through infertility and how she came to find her passion for being able to listen and hold a space for hurting women. She's also working on becoming a volunteer for resolve.org. So we're so excited to welcome you, Missy, to the call. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh thank you for your kind words that was great um i also want to thank you too i mean i've been watching your show and for anyone who's new you know you do so many good things bringing so many diverse women here to kind of share their story so i want to thank you for even having this platform um again my name is missy hyken uh just a little bit of a background on me i was born in new jersey quickly then moved to colorado then we ended up in montana in a very small community in southeast montana called three forks and i think um from that foundation you guys when i say it's a small community there was about 1800 people at the time i lived there i graduated with about 45 and so that tight-knit community truly i think shaped my relationships it shaped my career it shaped my goals like that need for that connection um started from that young age growing up in that community where like you truly knew your neighbor you knew their their fears you knew their concerns and so just knowing that that's really i think the foundation of my background um i'm married to my husband scott and we have a beautiful son dakota who i'll touch base with you guys later on we, we had him through in vitro fertilization back in 2018 so he just turned 18 months we're very very blessed that we are able to have him in our life and that's kind of why we're here today so um I know you had a lot of questions. Uh, is there anything that you'd like me to start out with? I can kind of bounce off of the infertility first, or what would you like me to touch base on first as I talk to everybody? Uh, thank you for sharing your background and your story and where you're from and so people can get to know you a little bit better. Why don't you talk to us about just your the years that really shaped who you are and what you're passionate about right now and what it was about that time that really grew you into this person that you have become. Okay, yeah, I know this is about infertility, so I kind of really want to shape this around that. Um, but I think to truly understand how I was able to uh, go through that time of my life and come out good on the other side and able to help people. I think it really goes back to um, my time again. I said I was from a small community and I think the first defining moment of my life in the years that followed was when I was 17 years old. Um, it was a Saturday night and I was home and I got a phone call on my landline phone. So I'm probably dating myself right now. It was from my friend Brad and he said, you know, there's been an accident. Have you heard? And I, you know, didn't know what he was talking about. And he proceeded to tell me about a vehicle accident in which three of the students that I went to high school with, um, they died in that car accident. And so I remember I dropped the phone from my hands. I, I fell to my knees and I just I cried and I screamed and I was just so upset and so overcome with grief in that moment. And the next I want to say many, many years of my life were shaped from that grief. I never dealt with it. I really never 
learn to cope with it. And it wasn't until, you know, I really truly got a grasp on that grief and learned to understand that there was a lot of things that I didn't say to one of those individuals that passed away in that car accident and that, that regret of not being able to say what I wanted to say and not being able to communicate with him anymore. That was very hard for me to overcome. And I, I kept that grief with me. I kept that unknown with me for a very long time. And when I truly learned to appreciate life, it was when I realized that, you know, I think we all go through grief in our life. We all go through moments when it seems hard and unbearable and we just don't know how we're gonna go on. But I am fortunate and blessed that I was able to experience that at such a young age because the next defining moment in my life, everything that I went through, everything that I had to overcome um, in terms of just learning to cope with everything really prepared me. And um, the next defining moment was probably I want to say, okay, and I did ask my sister-in-law if I could share this story, so I'm going to share this story, and it was the moment that I realized I had not only my first miscarriage, but my second miscarriage, and that was my sister-in-law's wedding day. Um, it was about four hours. It was about four hours before the ceremony, and um, I started to feel some pain, and um, and then I had my miscarriage four hours before she walked down the aisle. And I remember in that moment, I was just like, I've experienced this before. And I mean, I'm not gonna get into any gory details, but about nine months prior, I had just chalked that up to a regular menstrual cycle. Um, and anyone who's been through a miscarriage knows that it's different. It feels different, it is different. Everything about it is different. And so um, the only person that we had told at that wedding was my mother-in-law. She was supposed to be my wingman if somebody tried to give me alcohol. And so, um, I had to let her know, you know, we lost the baby this morning. But my sister-in-law put so much effort into that day. She put so much thought and care, and it was a small, intimate affair. And so I am blessed that, you know, in that moment, it all came full circle for me. We can have happiness and grief in the same spectrum. And so I think we all look back on moments of our life and there are days that we remember, there are moments that we remember, there are birthdays, there are anniversaries, there are deaths in our lives that we will experience. And I am so grateful that God blessed me with the fact that this was a happy day and a day of grief. And again, that full circle makes it so much. I can look back on that day now and be grateful that I was able to go through it and put a smile on my face. And I never told her until just recently that I did experience miscarriage on her wedding, but it was a defining moment because that was the start of our infertility. That was when it all started. I want on. to yeah. ask you a question based off that. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your heart. Mm -hmm. I can see that grief still just so weighing heavily on you, but to have perspective that you have is so refreshing. And so many people out there, especially in times like right now, what we're going through, there's a lot of anxiety and depression and fear-based thinking. And I can tell that you have faith. I mean, you, you speak about your faith. What, at what point in your life did faith enter in and become such a grounding force for you to help get you through that time in your life yeah that was probably um i want to say that like 
I always had a belief in God, but I don't think that I actually relied on that belief until we started facing the infertility because you have to have a strong foundation um, to get through that. And I had to rely on God knowing that he knows what's best. He, he has a path for me. He has like, I had to rely on him because I needed to rely on him. I mean, if I didn't, I just, I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it through, you know, because it was very hard to wake up every day and just be like, why is this happening? But when you put your faith in knowing that there is good, there is a reason for everything, there is hope in everything. And I was able to make it through because I relied on that hope. I leaned into that hope. And um, I think it was right around that time, right after that miscarriage that I really leaned in. That's beautiful. So after the second miscarriage, you had to have been wondering what's going on. Like you said nine months prior, you had had a miscarriage, but you chopped it up as a, a period. Although when you had the second one, did you look back on that one and go, wait, that was a miscarriage or did you know at that time? I did not know. So I had just chopped it up to a bad period, but, um, yeah, like I said, it's very profoundly different um, in so many ways. And so that morning when I when I was experiencing it, it was just like this blow, like, oh, my gosh, that wasn't what I thought it was. And and then I was thinking, oh, my gosh, like, what, two? Like, two in, in one year? Like, the, that was the first thought that entered my mind was, well, is that normal to have two in one year? Um and then we would later on experience another miscarriage about nine months after that we would experience another miscarriage and then I'm like, okay, this is not normal. Um, and actually we had gone in to see the infertility specialist at the Billings Reproductive Clinic in March and on our way home, cause we were living in Williston, North Dakota working at the time on our way home, I actually found out I was pregnant. And so I was like, oh, see, you know, everything happens for a reason. It's in God's hands. And then about, I want to say it was, it was May 5th that we ended up having to, um, have a DNC to, um, help remove my miscarriage. So the baby was not coming out. So that was our third and final miscarriage. And so after that, we began in vitro utilization, in vitro fertilization, um, which I can go into detail with that if you'd like. Um, we did three rounds of that with a failed attempt, and then we ended up doing um, a round of IVF in vitro fertilization in November, and then we had those embryos tested. We had two um, that survived, and so we had those two embryos tested. And so it's kind of weird to think about because Dakota technically has a twin. My son, Dakota, technically has a twin, but they're going to be born. It's very bizarre to think about. But anyway, we ended up transplanting that embryo in January of 2018, and he was born in October of 2018. So that's kind of like the process that we went through. And there's a lot of different testing that went on between there. Um, they tested uh, the baby that they ended up having to surgically um take out, they ended up testing to make sure there was no genetic, genetic anomalies. We ended up doing a lot of genetic testing in terms to see if there was some kind of chromosomal problem. Um, everything they found could not give them a definitive answer. So we do still have the, 
the diagnosis of unexplained infertility, which is frustrating because I think as humans, we're hardwired to want to know answers, to seek out answers, and um, unfortunately, I don't know that we'll ever get them. So, right. You have a beautiful baby boy, 18 months old. Yes. All of that. And I'm so, so thankful for that for you guys and that you, you've seen uh, the success story at the end of the tunnel. But um, you have started a support group for women who you meet once a month and it's an informal group. Tell us a little bit more about your, after this journey happened, did that start through the journey or did that support group start after you had Dakota and where was your, um, what, what happened to bring that all about? Yeah. So that was actually, I shared something on social media and I'm terrible with social media. I'm not very good about frequently posting or consistently posting. It's, I'm just terrible with it, but I had posted something about, um, it was after our third miscarriage, I posted something and I had several people that I knew reach out. And then I had several people that just followed me on Instagram reach out. And so from there, I kind of just talked to them and it was mostly listening. You know, I think what anybody wants truly, honestly, anybody wants in this world is just to be heard. And I just listened and that was all I did. Sometimes they would ask me for advice, um, which I didn't, I don't like offering up advice because everybody's infertility is different. And that's what I've learned about this. My story is going to be different from everybody else's story. The diagnosis, the treatment, um, how the procedures are done, it's all different. And so the biggest thing I did was I just listened because when I was going through it, I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody and, um, just dealing with everything I've dealt with in my life, I knew that the most important thing you can do is to reach out and, and talk to somebody. And I just didn't feel like I had, I mean, there was counselors that they, they, they do make you go through mandatory counseling when you have infertility treatments, which is absolutely amazing. I'm not downplaying that at all, but there's something to be said about somebody who just isn't a professional, just a listening ear. And it snowballed from there, you know, um, they said, Hey, thank you for talking to me. Can you talk to my friend? And then can you talk to my friend? And then it just became, okay, well, do we all want to get together and talk? And it's not a Facebook group. We just kind of know each other. And then we're like, Hey, let's meet on this day. And then we just kind of talk. And some of, some women have kids now, some are still struggling, some have adopted. And so it's just a way for us to kind of have somebody here what we have to say um, in a very informal setting. So I we, think all that's... Need, we all need community, don't we? Yeah. To have yes. a community that's got those commonalities and it's yeah. kind of reminds me of grief share that the church will offer or uh, like a 12 step program where you have a group or we're all just trying to work through something and mm -hmm. The active listening and the holding space for someone is such an important part of what we can do for other humans, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You are now working on a health advocacy type volunteer position through resolve.org. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about resolve and then what your position might look like in that as a volunteer in the future? Yes, so Resolve was my sounding board when I was going through this. I mean, there was a couple YouTube videos out there, but for the most part, I had no idea 
what IVF was, what infertility treatment. I had a lot of concerns, um, health-related concerns. I had issues of like, well, the needles that you have to stick in your body, there are so many of them. And so I was, I really just wanted answers. So Resolve has it all. They're actually the ones that host the National Infertility Awareness Month or week, which is this week right now. Um, and then there's ways that you can become involved and you don't have to have any formal education to do that. You just sign up to become a volunteer. And there's a lot of different ways you can become a volunteer. The two main that I've noticed, um, the one that I'm doing is a support. So it's kind of like a support line um, from my understanding. And then the other one is that you can help become an advocate to bring awareness that this is not covered under insurance. and. I was lucky enough at the time, my job that I was working at paid for some of it, but that's not the case for a lot of people. And it can cost upwards, I've seen numbers at 80,000, 80, I've seen numbers at 20,000, 10,000, it is expensive and it is not covered under, under insurance. And so there's ways with Resolve that you can become an advocate to where you reach out to your governing officers, you reach out to legislation to try to get those laws changed and Resolve is they do so many good things. I cannot speak highly enough. And that's honestly when people ask me stuff related to um, what's this mean? There's grants available. There's scholarships available for people who are trying to fund their IVF. Um, I always point them in that direction just because they have so much information. That's good to know. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. But we find things that when we need to know it, right? And mm -hmm. this call or show right here could be such a great saving grace for some people who don't even know about that. So thank you for sharing about that. What are some of the main things that you feel like women or families who are going through this really need to hear? Or what is it that you want to tell them? What's the main message behind how you like to help people? I know you listen a lot, but when you need to say something to someone, what is it typically that you like to? Okay, and I don't, I can't speak for everybody, but the common, the common thing I hear is why me? What's wrong with me? And oh, that one gets me because I felt those same things. And it's not you. There is nothing you are doing to either either a have a miscarriage or b that you're you're somehow in some way responsible for this. Like it is not your fault. You listen to me right now. It is not your fault. And um, that's like the biggest takeaway because I hear that from so many people and it just breaks. And I said it too, you know, like, I, what am I doing wrong? And even, you know, I know you touched base on Arbonne and one of the reasons that I truly love that company and to this day, just I have such a passion for it is because when I found out that we were unexplained infertility, I did everything in my power to figure out what I had done wrong because we're wired, we want to know these answers. And one of the things I found was that the chemicals that we use in our skincare and the chemicals that we're putting in our body are some, to some extent, research is showing that it's it's compromising our, our reproductive abilities. And hearing that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's my fault. It's because I used that cheap $5 lotion for 10, 15 years that I, I'm in this position and that's not the case. Do not tell yourself that. You know, it's so, the, the, the amount of growth you have 
received when you go through something like this is incredible and the community that you receive when you go through this like there's so many good things that can come out of this and I just always tell people you'll focus on what you're learning focus on what you're growing and know that you are not in any way shape or form responsible for this um yeah biggest takeaway (laughs) beautiful beautiful message tonight that it's not your fault and that you have to blame yourself for the things that are happening for Mm -hmm. sure I love that as you were um, going through this you obviously have a husband that was going through this with you how is this or how was it for your husband I know you can only speak for him but for the women out there who are listening who are in pain but they also have a partner Mm -hmm. how how did it how did this go for him and and how did he deal with his own pain through this? If you could speak for him. If I could speak for him. He's a man's man. I never saw a single tear. I never saw, he was always the strong sounding board. And I think he needed to be that because like, obviously I was going through a lot of it, uh, but he had to administer a lot of those shots in me. Um, and so that had to have been hard for him he had to go through a lot of those things and I feel like he put up a front and it wasn't until the first time I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this I knew how bad it had affected him because I didn't realize honestly and I feel terrible not knowing the emotional toll that it took on him but the second that um I was in labor for like 33 hours I think and then we did a c-section and I don't think I knew the toll it took on him until I saw him crying. I have never in our entire, we've been together for seven years now. I have never seen him, no, we've been together eight. I've never seen him cry. Never once seen him cry. And the second that Dakota was born and they, they, he held him, he just broke down. He, and and that's in that second, I knew how much it had affected him because he doesn't just cry. He's not one of those He's a man's man. He does not cry. And so I knew how bad it was. And so for other, um, I mostly reach out to women. I very rarely talk to a man. Um, I only talk to one that I can think of off the top of my head. But the one thing that I always kind of like to share is check in with your husbands. Um, they're going through it too. They might not be experiencing what you're experiencing, but they're going through it too, right alongside of you. And a lot of times I feel like, especially men want to be the strong foundation. They want to be the support and sometimes they need support. And so that's why I think it's so important to reach out to other people so that you both as a couple can rely on the support of a third party individual. So both of your needs are met. And that's one thing that if I could do it over, I wish um, I would have done that with my husband to make sure that, you know, he was doing okay, checking in with him, making sure somebody was talking to him about it because um, it is a very isolating situation to be in, especially if you're not open with it. I don't know why there's this stigma around infertility and why it's this nasty four-letter word. It's not. It's it's something that we all, one in eight couples go through it. And so um, just being able to talk about it openly is very hard for some people. But at the same time, the alternative is harboring all of that and having it come out an unexpected way sometimes so right I would say feelings buried alive never die so it's important to get those out and to talk about it and like you said having a third party or therapist or a coach or someone who can 
help you as a couple through something like that. It's very yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Dakota is 18 months old, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you guys have talked about what's next as far as uh, maybe another one. Uh, where are you guys at with that? What's your story going forward? So it's kind of we're not sure because I know that they've put all of the um, non medically necessary procedures on hold during this whole um, virus that we find ourselves in. And so I'm not sure, because in Montana, the place we go to, it's every other month. Because we, we have a reproductive specialist here in Billings, Montana, but we don't have an embryologist. And so they, they fly in an embryologist every two months to be able to do the procedures. And this covers Bozeman and Billings, Montana. And so I know that they're probably backed up with um, couples wanting to get these procedures done so we were planning on doing it in November but now I don't know I think we're gonna have to wait um, until this is it's, this whole thing is cleared and we're able to go in and visit with our doctor again and then we can kind of discuss because I do know you have to meet with them a couple months beforehand to kind of hash out a plan because they do have to put you on medication a couple months before and so it's kind of up in the air we're planning on November but I don't know. We might just do it in January and then who knows, maybe Dakota and his sibling can have the same birthday. They'll be twins born on the same day, three years apart. That would be, that would be something. Yes, it would. Yeah. <laughs> you know that game, Two Truths and a Lie. He'd have a great one. <laughs> no, that Who knows? I mean, it's a good story. I, I told Scott, I was like, let's do it in January and just pray that they have the same birthday because then it would just be so cool. And he's like, for who? The kids wouldn't like it, but I think cool. <laughs> this, is your, this is your twin sibling three years apart. That's just weird. Is, but medical science allows this to happen and that is so cool yep. yes do you mind telling us a little bit about your experience with IVF for people who are curious about it for themselves and also those of us who just curious in general yeah so I think that's another big question is when do I go in and I don't think there's any wrong time to go into a reproductive specialist but I I do recommend you go to somebody who's specialized in reproductive because I mean any doctor can administer an in uterine insemination procedure but the I just highly recommend going and visiting a reproductive specialist and so that was our first step we went in again that was March of 2017 we went in to visit with a reproductive specialist and um ended up getting pregnant lost that baby went back in that's when they began doing all the tests and that's just a lot of blood work i was afraid of needles until after this whole thing because you get so much blood work done um and then they just run various tests and after every test they kind of come back and be like okay this is what we found and if they find something then that's your diagnosis. If they don't find something, then they keep going and they keep looking and they keep looking. And sometimes it could be endometriosis, which is actually um, something to do with, there is a coating, I believe. I'm not incredibly familiar with, but I believe there's a coating around your, um, your uterus that needs to be removed. And that can only be done with 
a microscope going in there to see if you can actually have endometriosis. And so um, we didn't have to go that far because they just, you know, like everything that we're seeing right now, all the blood work, all the testing led to unexplained infertility. So they recommended the in uterine insemination, which basically means I go on some pills that are similar to the pills you go on in IVF and these just stimulate, stimulate your follicles. So if you think about it, um, during a woman's cycle, only one follicle is actually releasing an egg, but during the stimulation process, both follicles are kind of ramped up to be able to deliver as many um, eggs as possible. So the eggs hide out in these follicles. And so that's what we did. We did the medication to ramp up these follicles. And then, um, this is so personal, uh, my husband's uh, semen was was put inside of me with a needle. So it was essentially, I was inseminated with a needle threaded up into my uterus to try to place it exactly where it needed to be and give it the best chance of being fertilized. We did that three times with no luck. So then we moved into the IVF process. And that's the last step. I mean, they're going to do that only if um, the three times with the IUI fail. And, you know, they only recommend doing it three times because what my doctor told me is, you know, after three, if it doesn't work, it's probably not going to work. And so it's time for the big guns. And that's when we brought in the big guns. And then there's different ways. Again, there's so many different ways you can um, do this, but the medication we used stimulated those follicles. And then you have to be on not bed rest, but low activity because there's a chance that the follicles will wrap around each other. And so it's a very, very intense procedure. You're going to get bloated, like incredibly bloated because those follicles are just growing so much. And so then they go in, they remove the eggs. Um, then they inseminate the eggs and then there's this waiting process. So initially we had 13 eggs removed. Um, of those eggs, seven fertilized. Of those seven, two made it to the stage where they can become transferred. And so that's kind of just the waiting process that everybody kind of goes through when they, they do this. And there's so many, and this is why I don't like to talk about the, the medications and the procedures. It's always, I always recommend going and seeing a medical specialist because it, your story is going to be different than mine. Um, everybody's story is different. And that's why it's so important to like get the answers. And there's no shame in going and visiting a reproductive specialist. No shame at all. And so best case scenario, you get, you get every answer you need. And hopefully you get it right away. So they know what to do right away. Um, and then we ended up actually getting our embryos tested. So they're frozen embryo transfer is what it's called. So um, they test the embryos for any genetic anomalies, which actually we were able to know Dakota's gender before they even transferred, um, before I was even pregnant. So we had names picked out. like. <laughs> and then there's that waiting game. Like It's so bizarre because I remember the, the, one of the things that I was upset about, I think to some extent, was that I didn't get to have like a surprise my husband that I'm pregnant because it's like well we are or we aren't and they told me don't take any pregnancy tests wait to come in and get your blood work done but of course I took a pregnancy test and then I tried to be all sneaky about it he's like you're pregnant aren't you and I'm like yeah there's no secrecy here it's very <laughs> different it's very different than the normal way and I guess I never thought that this would be the way that we would start a family but again you gotta you gotta go with the flow and it, it'll happen it'll happen eventually 
Awesome. I love it. What a great story. Thank you for sharing that because some people choose that method, like you said, and others decide to go with adoption or they, they don't choose either option, right? Or I'm sure there's a lot more that we're not even discussing. Um, yeah. So you had mentioned to me a while back in some correspondence that we had that you guys had even thought about adoption at one point. Is that something you're still thinking of? Yes. So actually it's funny because we have, we finished our basement like three months before Dakota was born and we added another room downstairs. So we actually have four bedrooms downstairs. We have two bedrooms upstairs. We, we truly want to get into fostering, um, here probably in the next eight years, we're going to, once Dakota's kind of Dakota and our other child, if, if we do end up having another child are older, we will be getting the foster to adoption process. And I know it's a very intensive process. And so we're looking forward to that, but yes, adoption is also a very good option. There are so many kids that are looking for homes right now. Um, it was just something at the time me and my husband were not emotionally prepared for because you have to prepare yourself for a lot of things when you go through adoption. It's not free. Um, unlike most people think it's not a free process. You don't just get a kid, which actually was sent to me once. Um, it's, it's very intensive. And then there's this waiting game where you might not be able to call that child your own. And so emotionally at that time, we thought the best course of action when we, we were looking between adoption and IVF would have been IVF and then adoption down the road. Awesome. Okay. Well, I alluded to the fact that you have a big heart for a lot of things, not just children and your life and other people and helping people through the infertility, but mm-hmm. then you, I saw on your Facebook that you have this cute little bunny named Lieutenant Dan. And <laughs> then when, before we got on the call, you were talking about your self-care and, and the thing that the things I'll, I'll let you say <laughs> they are that uh, make you happy every day. So why don't you talk about your animals? Yes. So self-care for me, it does not look like a massage. It doesn't look like a facial. It looks like animals. Um, I have a little bunny that we rescued. He is named Lieutenant Dan. He has, he's paralyzed on his back end. So he has a little wheelchair. Um, he's pretty young. We took him to the vet. They thought he was maybe four months old. So we just acquired Lieutenant Dan and we're so happy to have him. He is the sweetest little bunny. He loves Dakota so much. Dakota loves him. And then the other form of self-care I have, and it sounds bizarre, but I love to wash my chickens. There is something so soothing about my chickens. They're all named after uh, famous country singers. We have Ruba McIntyre, we have Miranda Lambert, Kelly Clarkson. They're my absolute, I love them so much. There's, I've wanted a chicken. I've wanted chickens for my whole life. And so um, when we were purchasing them, they said, you know, make sure to get more than you want because unfortunately chickens, they don't survive very good. But we bought 20 of them, all 20 survived. And then we also acquired a rooster um, from a friend who lived in town where you can't have roosters in town. So we have 21 chickens now. and. They are my self-care. I think next to my passion for like truly helping people, um, it's definitely got to be animals is a close second. I love my animals. I also have a dog named Charlie, um, but yeah, I love my animals. Yeah, I saw Charlie all over your Facebook. It looks like you've had yeah. him quite a while. Yes, we got him right before we got married. So six years, he'll be six years old. Mm-hmm. On May 20th, 
Funny side note, when we were going in to get our marriage certificate, I gave the guy Charlie's birthday and not my husband's because my husband was born on May 10th. Charlie is born on May 20th. So our wedding certificate almost had Charlie's birthday on it. I love my animals. I love my husband too, but I love my animals so, so much. They just, there's something to be said about the innocence of an animal that really brings everything into perspective. How did you meet your husband? Oh, so actually, um, I went to Montana State University, and at the time I was there, I went, I met a lot of women at my sorority, Alpha Omicron Crown Pie, and so actually, one of my very, very dear friends, Ellie, was dating a boy named Cameron, who introduced me to Cameron's friend, Scott, and so it was after a Blake Shelton concert. I knew in the first probably two hours that I was going to marry him. I don't think he knew yet, but I know, so it was going to happen. <laughs> That's cute. I love yeah. it. He's just, he's just perfect. I love him so much. Aww. And you guys must have a lot of property if you have 20 chickens. Um, so we live next to my father-in-law. So I think he has, I don't know, I think it's like 80 acres maybe. And then we have five and a half. So, yes. I say that's a lot of property. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we just we live, um, yeah, we live just south of Laurel, Montana, and so it's a beautiful area. It's kind of you can see the Beartooth Mountains. It's just it's beautiful out here. So, so tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial spirit because you went to college. What did you major in in college? Well, I actually left MSU. That was okay. again, I was going through some stuff there, but um, when I was there. It was family science, so I had aspirations to be a social worker. Um, quickly realized that was probably not going to be the career path that I had. And so I think for me, my career has always been about like I'm multi passionate. When I was a kid, I remember they'd always ask us, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I think me and my twin Maggie can honestly say we always wanted to be my big sister Allison. Like that was like, "Hey, well, I just want to be Allison." And then. I think going on from there, um, I wanted to be a mom. So I, I stick to the things I'm passionate, but they always have that core central, like caring for, you know, I want to care for other people in some aspect or care for other things in some aspect. So um, what I'd love to do with Arbonne, it's an entrepreneurial thing for me, is I get to experience being a mother, a stay-at-home mom, and still being able to have that career aspect and be able to work from home, set my schedule. And so I love that about being and, and helping people in the sense of, like I said, that unexplained infertility diagnosis for me hit home. And so I, I aligned myself because um, I knew I wanted to do network marketing. I know that might sound bizarre to some people, but I knew I wanted to do it. And so I aligned myself with Arbonne specifically because of their mission statement and the products that they offer, which are going to be, um, free of harmful chemicals, free of those things that I learned and discovered were going to possibly link to infertility and reproductive. And some of them for 100% certain are linked. Others, there's still, the debate is still out. But um, I love being able to help men, help women, and just be able to offer something, um, a part of myself, I think, whether it's through um, working with Arbonne or doing these support groups and just volunteering, finding ways to volunteer because I want to get back involved in that 
Um, I just, we just started going to a church here in town called Faith Chapel, and I'm so glad that we found that church. I'm excited once it opens up again <laughs> to be able to go back there and kind of, you know, just be multi-passionate and find everything that I love. I know I'm all over the board here, but that's kind of where I am with like the things that I love to do. I love animals. I love people. I love selling things. Like I'm just all across the board. And I think that's important for people to know is like, I don't fit the mold of doing a 40 year career. I never did. I thought I could try to fit in that mold and I can't. And so I just really want people to know that you don't have to fit in any mold. You don't have to be any one person. You can do whatever you want and be passionate about many things. And I think that's where I stand. I am a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I love it. I We are kindred spirits, girl. Yes. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was taking athletic training, which is something I actually went into in college. Uh, but my athletic training teacher at the time said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, I really just want to marry Adam Fisher and have kids. <laughs> okay. And a career can come second, third, whatever. It wasn't really the top of my list of what, you know, what I want to be when I grow up as a happy person uh, that has Adam by my side and a couple kids running around and yeah. And so we all just create the life that we want to live if we can and if we're blessed enough to do that. Right. And so it's, it's a, it's an amazing life that we both kind of created for ourselves. And then, yeah, I love it. I love that. Do what you love. Do what yes. you love and don't look back. Yes, exactly. Yes. So is there anything else uh, if we want to come back around to the infertility topic that we didn't cover tonight that you want to talk about or cover? Yeah, I think more than anything is like check out results. Um, Make sure to check out Resolve. If you have questions, you can reach out to me. I might not be a professional in the sense of listening, but I do enjoy letting people, there's this, I get a lot out of it, I think, just being able to listen to somebody. And I know that they're they're kind of concerned about, well, I don't know you, I'm a stranger. And I'm like, you know what? I don't do a lot of judgment. I don't do a lot of preconceived notions. Like we've all been there. And so I think that's just it, reach out. Um, if there's a tug on your heart to, that you need to talk, then do it. And I think that's that's how infertility struggles, to me, are kind of dealt with. And I, I say dealt with with a grain of salt because it, you need to deal with it. It's not just going to go away. You're not just going to one day wake up and it's going to be all okay. You're going to have to learn to live with this, just like grief. And that's what infertility is. It's grief. And so you have to really, truly connect with that. And so um, I guess that's just my one hope for people is that they reach out and talk to somebody. And you're not alone. This is not your fault. And there's so many beautiful things that you can learn about yourself um, through this whole process. Oh, beautiful last words. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the call tonight. I really appreciate your words and encouragement to other people, all families that are going through this right now, or people who might in the future and go, oh, I remember that call. I can go back and listen to her. And yeah, it's very, very impactful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for hosting these shows. I mean, 
truly and honestly, you have such a diverse group of women that you bring on here, and I get a lot out of it. So at the very least, I love your workouts, I love your webcams, I love your podcast, so keep it up. Um, Thank you. Grateful to have your program to listen to. Yes, you bet. And I want you to stay on the um, webinar here. I'm going to stop the live stream, and uh, I want to chat with you about something. So bye, everybody. <laughs> stay on, Missy. <laughs>